This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. About to hop in a podcast with Luke Combs, which, I mean, as you see, if you looked at the timer here, we spent over an hour yeah. just kind of talking about all kinds of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see Luke. And I know he, that he was just in town for a day or so. And uh, came over. We were going to do this about a month and a half or so ago. Maybe longer than that. Maybe. Yeah. And it got delayed. And um, yeah, so hang out. Luke Holmes will be on in just a second. Let me uh, kind of throw a couple things at you. First of all, check out Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I'll give you a plug, Mike. All right. I, I think your episode this week is really interesting. People may hear this for weeks and weeks, obviously, but check out the podcast. But he's doing movies that are real life movies that are supposedly based on fact. And you actually see how much fact they are. Yeah, I go through and fact check them all. Like you did, what was the Tom Hanks DiCaprio movie? Catch Me If You Can. So how true that was. What are some other ones you did? I did Remember the Titans. Mm -hmm. I did The Rembrandt. um, And then I did Blindside, Texas Chainsaw, because there's a big conspiracy that actually happened. Oh, okay. So I kind of took what it came from on that movie. Wow. So you can check that out, Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. Uh, Amy's Got Four Things with Amy Brown. There's... Velvet's Edge with Kelly Henderson. So there's just a lot of podcasts for you. I hope you check it out. My Instagram is Mr. Bobby Bones, and pretty excited to finally get to play this one for you. Um, we we go through a lot, all the number ones, what he was like in high school and college, and uh, just a pretty honest guy. I can always appreciate how honest that that Luke Combs is. Anything you'd like to say, Mike, before we get started here? I really enjoyed this one. I think people are gonna like it. Yeah, I do too. I walked up and I was like, well, this will be one of the yeah. <laughs> most streamed ones. And by the way, you can watch all these on our YouTube channel. Yeah. So what's the... YouTube.com slash BobbyCast. BobbyCast? Yep. So check that out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you don't mind. You can watch all these. We have cameras in here. Two cameras. One on my face, one on Luke Combs' face. But a lot of the other ones too. I encourage you to go check it out and share it with your friends. And if you don't mind, because we get to do these because our numbers are so high. Like we have, you know, millions and millions of people that listen to this interview podcast. But... It's only because you guys listen and write comments and share and rate it. And because our streams keep going up, bigger and bigger artists come on the podcast. And so it's pretty cool. We get to keep, 
making this great content because you guys are, are boosting it. So we, if you don't mind and you'll rate us five stars and you'll write a nice comment and be like, it's the greatest podcast ever. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> we appreciate that. Without any further ado, let's get over to Luke Combs, episode 226. Here we go. All right, welcome to episode 226 with Luke Combs. Good to see you. Likewise, man. I know you ain't been home in a while, so I appreciate I have not. you. I got a text from you like, I didn't know it was going to take an hour to get here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a decent ways. Because <laughs> uh, you text me, I finished working out, and I was like, oh, Luke's, Luke's going to be here in like, so I was throwing on clothes. You're like, like he's going to be here in like Well, my minutes. underwear's wet because I was <clears throat> towel off all the way. Yeah. yeah. And then I didn't realize you lived so far away. Yeah. Yeah. When did that happen for you? Did you were you actually able to buy some landing? And yeah, out? it was probably just about a year ago. So I've been in my house just over a year now. So does it feel like home? It does. It does now for sure. It definitely didn't when we moved there. You know, just because it was, you know, so far from town and all our friends. You know, still live in town, and it's it's just uh, it took a little bit of getting used to, man. But I wouldn't want to be anywhere else now. Isn't furniture the worst? Yes. Because you just don't expect it to be that expensive. Not only that, but you think that like, okay, well, if I'm going to spend X amount on this couch, which I think is an insane amount, there should just be one that's there. Like you have one in the store and it's going to take you six months to get one to my house. Like I just don't understand. Especially for a nice one. Right. Like you would think they could move the nicer ones. Right. You would think they would just be like, oh, let's just make this tomorrow. The, the, the things that I buy that are frustrating to me are furniture. Yeah. And again, I live in a pretty nice house yeah. here now. And, and yeah. But to fill it up with crap, I'm it's, not even in most of my rooms. Right. It's a lot of I don't know of if work. you are. Are you in most of your no. rooms? Nope, not at all. And I don't want to leave them empty because I'm OCD about that stuff. Right. And then right. they're like, this is how much a bed costs. Yeah. Like, are you kidding? Refrigerators suck. Refrigerators are, mine just broke recently, which was great. Car tires. It's in something else. That you go, you got to have good ones. You get what you pay for. Oh, I've got a vehicle that's getting, I'm not, they're now giving me a new vehicle. Because, because it's, it's broken like four times since I've had it. Did you get a lemon? Like a, a lemon a, law. That's the thing, right? Where they just are like, okay, well, we're just going to take the loss and just give you a new one. So it, the car that you bought has been broken four times? Yeah, I mean it works, but it's just kind of user error. No, it's not a user error. No, it's it's great, uh, and it's just every time, and it, it it always happens right when I get right when I get home from like a long period of not being here, and I haven't been able to drive, and then I get in it like at the airport, and then it it breaks like on the way home. Like you're just trying to get home, right? My it's, it's my not, TV does that with Netflix. Like I'm ready to just get home. I've been I've been out forever. Yeah. Only time I need to use it. It didn't work. So. Right, to watch the office and just yeah. chill, and then it doesn't connect. Yes, yeah, so I don't want them to fix it anymore. Just just either send me a new one or, or give me a refund or something. So You did the last couple of days that you were in New York doing, yep. S- doing SNL. Mm-hmm. Well, what was that like for you getting the call? And I'm not sure how that call works. Yeah. Do you go, I'd like to be on SNL, think about us? or Not really. You know, it was like, it was super last minute. And it, I think it always is. I think it's like, because they booked the hosts – I mean, I'm not certain, but I feel like they book the hosts three weeks out. And then the musical act, I mean, it was like a week and a half. So you didn't know for three or four months that you were going to be on SNL? Yeah, no, no. It was like I got called and it was like, hey, we're doing SNL. It's in a week and a half. And I was like, oh, okay. So we had tour rehearsals scheduled. Like we had rented out 
the space and like all the crew was there setting everything up and the band guys had already rehearsed a couple of days and then they had to up and go to New York like super last minute. That's so pretty cool though, right? It was awesome, man. It was really awesome. It was it was definitely the coolest uh coolest like filming thing experience that I've had. What's it like walking into that space for the first time because you do you rehearse pre uh the a day before two It's days before? a couple days. So I we went in I mean, two or three days. We were in New York for four days, and I can't imagine how long JJ was there. He was probably there for at least a week. Maybe even the writing meetings. He was in all the writing meetings and changing the skits and everything like that. So it was really cool because I grew up watching SNL with my dad, and and so it was really neat. It was very surreal to be there and like see the set because it's so iconic, you know. And it was awesome, man. I was, uh, you know, definitely do it again. Do you do the first because the first show they do is full. And then they'll end up moving and cutting sketches a yep. bit, and then they yep. just go again and do it again live. Yes. Uh, when you do the first one, did you do the same two songs? Did, yep. you, did you run it just as you were going to mm-hmm. run it? And yep. how did you feel after basically the super dress rehearsal? I felt really good about it. I mean, you know, Lauren came in and was like, hey, you're holding the mic too high on the first song. and we can't. Because of cameras? Yeah, and you can't, because normally I'm holding it up here. And he's like, well, I can't see your face if you're holding it up here, so you got to just kind of, but that was the only note that he had. But other than that, it was great. Who did you ask to take pictures with? I didn't really ask. I'm not a big, like, I'm not a big, like, take the picture backstage guy, you know, unless it kind of happens naturally. Um, obviously, me and JJ got a picture, but, I mean, obviously, I wanted a picture with Lauren because I've been a fan of his for a long time. and uh, But that was it. You know, I, I've never been huge into, the, like, unless it's a natural thing that happens, you know, like, I'm not a big, like, pop in the dressing room and be like, what's up, you know? I mean, I don't mind that at all. I actually love when people do that, but sometimes I just feel uncomfortable about it, you know, because you don't really know. Like, I didn't know J.J. was going to be, like, super nice, awesome guy. You know, I I mean, I've never met him, so he might have been like, who's this guy, you know? What what was Lauren Michaels like? (laughs) He was awesome, man. He was super nice. He's definitely a boss. You can definitely tell he runs the show. Um, But he was was very nice, man, very normal, um, and just had some great stories, you know? And then J.J., you know, obviously he's massive. My experience with NFL players is they look big on TV, but then when you meet them, you're like, oh my God, they're so big. It, it, like yes. Eli Manning was like that to me. Yes, they're so much bigger. They look big on TV, but everyone on TV's big on the games, you know? So you don't really like, if there's a guy that looks bigger than the rest of the guys, that guy's really big. And so standing beside JJ, it was, it was definitely weird. Cause I'm not a small guy, but he was just massive. How tall are you? Six foot. So when you did the promos, I was watching some of those promos because that's those are the iconic thing where they have yeah. one of the cast members, the host, and the musical artist. Mm-hmm. Like as far as what I was able to see, that was one of the coolest things I got to see you do because yeah. I've just seen so many cool people do that over yeah. the years. Yeah, it was neat. And they put AD Bryant on a like an Apple box, <laughs> so she could because be she was because <clears throat> she was like I mean she looked like a child. You know, beside us, so they had her up on an apple box just so she was like in the frame. You know what I mean? It was it was pretty wild. As you're doing the musical performance, are you at all able to just think about it? Like, can you get comfortably in place? You're singing. You can be super present. Yeah, you were. I was. Yeah, because I was like, I mean, we're only doing two songs, you know, and they're one at a time, and it's broken up. So, I guess you really never get in like a groove like you would at a, at a show. But, I mean, 
I've sang beer, you know, a million times. So it's, I was definitely comfortable doing that one. Loving on you was the song that they picked. You know, they were like, Hey, we want, we're looking for this out of it. So they picked that tune. Um, How'd you feel about that? It was great. I mean, I, that was the one I was, I guess, least comfortable with, you know, I said, I mean, I've sang that one a, a thousand times too, but it was, um, I, you always get that thought like, cause I never really think about it when we're doing the show. I'm not like, Oh, what if I mess up or what if I do this? And then I was like, you know, there's a chance that I could just blow it, you know? Like, I I mean, I usually don't think that way, but SNL is kind of a, a huge opportunity. So I was like, man, wouldn't it just be ironic, you know, if I just got too comfortable? And then on the biggest TV thing that I've done to date, I just let my guard down a little bit too much. But luckily, that didn't happen. So You ever get in one of these settings that's really big or cool and – it's just the sound just isn't working right. Like maybe an ear's out or you're like, God dang, I got to, you just have to go and not really know until you look back at the feedback at how it went. I, so my stage right guitar players, ears were out for beer. And so they were great the whole time, you know, for every, I mean, we must've ran it five or six times over the course of a few days, you know, and after, as we were doing rehearsals and stuff and sound checks and the ears were really, really great. And then for some reason during beer, which was the second song. So we had already done one of the songs on television where his ears were working and they just didn't work. So it sounded good though. So did you have floor monitors and ears or just ears? Just ears. So if he has no ears, he has nothing. Yeah. So what, what then is he looking at visual cues? I mean, how is this working where a a guitar player with no ears is still able to play guitar? I guess it would just be muscle memory at that point. You know, I mean, because, you know, you just played it so many times that you know what's going on and, 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 you know, luckily he killed it. So, well, congratulations. Thank you. It was was very cool. Are you able to kind of see what's happening to your career or is it moving so fast? that sometimes you're able to take a peek? Like, what, what is it that you're able to... Yeah, it, it's it's hard to, to understand, you know, because, you know, I spend most of my time, you know, at home if I'm not doing something like SNL. You know, it, it's like, I just try to not think about it because I, it can be really overwhelming to, under like, try to understand the scope of it. So I, I just try to... Not, I guess not not think about it, but I, I try to not bathe in it, you know, as much as I guess I could. But it's it's crazy. You know, I, I don't think I really under, fully understand, honestly. It's been quite rapid even yeah. to, to, to watch it happen for you and know you as it's yeah. happening. It's, it's been rapid to watch, you know, the ascension of, of Luke Combs, whatever that is at this point. Yeah. And so... You know, as I'm watching kind of one hit after another, and it's not even about the hits. It's also the people, the fan base that, that grows at the same time. Because I've seen a lot of people with hits. Yeah. But they're not selling out arenas. Yeah. What do you credit that to? I, I mean, we try to, you know, do everything we can to to make sure we take care of the people that come to the shows. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure everybody says that, you know, but our fan club is is free, always has been, always will be. Um, you know, I I don't see really any real need to monetize that. You know, I, I think, you know, letting those people know that you appreciate them enough to, to do something like that for them and give them the first chance at tickets and give them the chance to do that without charging them to do that, I think can invoke a little bit of loyalty as well because they're like, oh, well, this guy's not trying to get something out of me at every step, you know. 
you know, the T-shirts are, are as reasonably priced as they can possibly be. Uh, and they're still expensive, in in my opinion. But there's not really there's not I can't go any lower. Uh, so we we're constantly doing things like that. The tickets to the tour, the the last tour were the cheapest ticket was twenty five dollars, and the most expensive ticket was a hundred dollars. And so I think keeping ticket prices reasonable. Obviously, this that you know we do the Ticketmaster Verified program, um, which I don't think anybody in the genre besides church does. Um, to screen to make sure that it's actual fans getting the tickets. And then we have to go back and and revoke tickets for people who we think are scalpers. And mm. and there is a form they can fill out if their tickets are revoked, and they can kind of prove that they're actually a fan and get their tickets back. And we can resell those tickets to actual fans. They have to show the Luke Combs tattoo. Here's they a, do. Here's a yes. picture of my inner thigh tattoo. <clears throat> yes, of Luke Combs. They have to show the tattoos. Yeah. And uh, but no, we. I think it's just little things. It's a lot of little things that require. A lot of work from a lot of people, um, but it's paid off. You know, as I talk about how rapidly you've risen, it's it's been a bit odd to have you blow up so quick where I feel like a lot of people don't know young you because yeah. you it happened so fast you really <clears throat> didn't have a lot of time to tell your full story all the time before it was like you got so big where you couldn't put yourself everywhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's It has just been insane, you know, and it's... It's felt that way since the start. Like everything just kind of happened in such quick succession. And it was always, I guess things were always just trending upwards. You know, I think a lot of the times when people start out, and, I'm, and I can't speak from experience, I guess I'm, I'm just going what off my buddies have told me, but you start going up and something great happens. And then you kind of hit a plateau for a year or two years. And then you start, and then you get a song that kind of, gets you back on the the elevator, the escalator back up, and then you plateau for a little bit. And then that kind of keeps going until you're ultimately at the top of the thing. So mine just seemed to go like that the whole time. You know, I'm not really sure why. It's just the way that that the chips fell, I guess. What were you like as a kid? Let's let's go back to like seven or eight years old. Yeah. Because I felt like even knowing you early on in this run, we didn't get to a lot of like what was Luke yeah. Combs like as a kid. But what was home like at, at six, seven, eight years old? Home was really great. I was living in Charlotte at that time. I uh, went to Huntersville Elementary School. Uh, I was an only child. Uh, both of my parents worked full time. Uh, what did your mom do? My mom worked as a, uh, a mortgage uh, processing officer. So she wasn't a mortgage officer, but she was kind of like the assistant to all the mortgage officers within a certain branch of at that <clears throat> at that time it was first union is where she worked at that time and your dad and my dad um back then he was uh he was kind of owned his own like landscaping business and i don't mean like a cool big landscaping business i meant like it was just him and his tools <clears throat> and he would mow your grass and weed eat and, and stuff like that and um that's kind of, and he also did maintenance at a at a different bank uh, in downtown Charlotte, and that's what he did. We moved to Asheville as well. Did you learn a lot from your dad as far as if he's using his hands and you know mowing, weed eating, which is what I did for many of those jobs? <clears throat> like, yeah, c- could you go and do that now? And do you do that now on your land? And like, you could you could actually use your hands and get. I don't. Done? You know, I would I would like to lie to everybody and say that I'm you know <laughs> that I'm out there you know, cutting down trees with an ax, but I'm not. 
Um, I don't have the time right now to do those could things. Could you though? I could. Did he yeah. teach you? Yeah, yeah, how, definitely. How, to, how yeah. to string a weed eater? Yes, I mean, I grew up, you know, doing all those things out of necessity, you know, because there were a lot of times when you know, Dad had something even more, you know, annoyingly necessary to do than mow the grass or weed eat. So, sorry, that's my phone. Oh, is anybody cool? No, I have the is it tile. Yeah. You know, the oh. tile is. So I have one in my wallet, so it's probably just, I've probably No, just, I don't know what that, what's the tile? It's like a thing, so I keep one in my, well, I'll show you here. So I got my wallet, handy-dandy wallet. Your here. wallet zips. It I, zips because somebody stole my credit card one time. So this is one of those, like, RFID things. So it's this guy, right? Okay. So it just looks like a credit card, but it's kind of like a find my iPhone for my wallet. So, But if I press this, then I should, it, then I know where my phone is. And, so so and, this this looks like a credit card, but you push it. Yeah. And then it makes your phone ring? Yeah. And so like, I, but I can also, if I, if I get on my app, I can make my ro- wallet ring with this. So they can find each other. Yes. And Do I you have, lose your stuff a lot with this. No, I, I, I just, I've done, I have like, I have one in my passport. I have one on my car keys. Um, and just various, like I keep, I keep them in my guitar cases too. And so everyone that has one of these, this thing is constantly on Bluetooth. So if I were to lose it and you had one and you were near it, it would say, Hey, this thing just picked up Bluetooth on this guy's phone. And so then I'd be like, oh, well, it's over there somewhere. It's close to where that guy was. And so it would report every step that it's made on its journey of, like, going by people who picked it up. So I originally got them for my guitars. So I was like, well, if someone ever steals my guitar, I would at least have some way to, like, track it because there, it would be as hidden in the case, you know. Um, so don't steal my guitars if you're out there What happened watching. with your credit card? It just, it was nothing huge. It was like, you know, my business manager was like, hey, did you spend $800 at Ace Hardware in Iowa or something? And I was like, no. And so essentially I was just somewhere and people have those skimmers. And actually it was in New York City. I was, I went to the Nike store in New York City probably last year. uh, And then I went to the Adidas store and my business manager was like, hey, did you just buy $600 worth of shoes at the Nike store and then $600 worth of shoes at the Adidas store. And I didn't, I didn't buy anything at the stores, but someone in the store had skimmed my wallet while I was in there. And then they were in there buying shit, like literally when I was in there. So they skimmed your wallet. You didn't stick your card in a skimmer. They, Mm -mm. they somehow magnetize it. They can magnetize it without even touching it. Now they can just, I'd never heard of that. Yeah. It's pretty wild. And so because of that, you have a zip wallet? Yeah. So this thing has stuff all in the wallet to keep the magnetic stuff from being able to go through it. Is your Wi-Fi protected at your house, like super yeah. early? Oh, yeah. Man, when did, where did this all come from? I mean, I, by the way, great and healthy. And yeah. Amy, my co-host husband, is you know, super military. Like, hey, you don't know what they're – like, he's – don't cover your hole. Yeah. He's that, he's that guy. <laughs> I'm not that necessarily that he's guy. That, he's that guy because he's seen it. And he's yeah. like, you better cover everything. It does happen, though. And I think, you know, like – when you're dealing in intellectual property, you know, which is whether you're writing songs or composing things or writing a book or, you know, if someone were to have access to your internet, I mean, they could steal all of your songs, your writings, whatever you're keeping on your 
in your cloud or whatever it is. I'm not really sure how all that stuff works. But Who tipped you off to do that, or did something bad happen to you? Nothing bad happened to me to get tipped off about it. I had just been like, well, hey, man, like I can afford to do that, so like I should probably do it. Like That would be a safe thing to just to do. And it's not insanely expensive or anything. Um, it's just like a series of firewalls. I'm just saying firewalls like I know what that is, by the way. <laughs> and we're that not just, questioning it because we figured yeah, you know that what just it sounds is. like we the don't. thing that it should be. So, and they sound scary. So, this festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacovas store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Dot com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. I was talking to Ronnie Dunn. Him and I have become pretty good buds in the last six months or so. Yeah. And he... And I, I didn't know this story, but he credits you with pretty much 
making that whole reboot album for them happen. Yeah, I've heard that. So here heard is that. a little bit of a brand new man uh, with Luke and, and Brooks and Dunn. Here you go. Whoa! How did this come together in your mind? <clears throat> the story I've heard is so their manager, Clarence Spaulding, uh, is friends with my manager, Cappy, uh, the guy that cried on the show. Um, and we were at a show, I believe it was uh, at Joe's Bar in Chicago, um, probably three years ago or so. Um, we, we had a show there and... Um, Clarence had come, or he was in town or something, uh, and had linked up with Cappy. Cappy was there. And he came and watched the show and stuff, and we did that cover of Brand New Man. And I talked about in the set how much Brooks and Dunn meant to me and how much they had influenced my career. And I had no idea Clarence was there. Um, but I, I had just been doing that every night. Like, hey, I grew up listening to these guys. They've really shaped the music that I want to make and things that I want to do. And I guess that kind of sparked the idea within him like hey there's probably a lot of other artists around my age that grew up listening to brooks and dunn um which is you know which happened to, to be the truth if you were to mount rushmore artists which is four and we'll do <clears throat> we'll do five we'll do five okay. total five of your life that'd be country they can they can be freaking Any, they can be mozart anyone yeah you get a mount okay. rushmore because and as you think i'll just kind of walk you that would put garth john mayer on mine, I'd put Ben Folds. I'd put so it can be. I love Ben Folds. It can That's be from good. wherever you want. Okay. So, okay. who would be the first artist on your Mount Rushmore? Like, of, like influence or like you just, just you raw they're, talent? They're, 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 no, not raw talent, but the influence you. Okay. Your favorite? No, uh, probably Elton John. Okay, Elton, be, was Elton. where I would go first for sure. Elton John. All right. Yeah. Uh, Billy Joel. Are you a piano player? I'm not. Oh, I did. Those are your first two. Yeah. They're so key-centric. There's just like, I just the songs are so great. I've always loved keys. I'm not smart enough to play piano, I don't think. Um, I'm just been honest with myself about that. I've tried. And it's just not there. You know, uh, I'm not a big technical musician, um, which is why I'm just able to strum enough chords to write songs and, and play a couple of them at the show. But... It would definitely be those guys, you know, Tom, John, Tom Petty, Billy Joel, Tom Petty, nice. Tom Petty for sure. Uh, Brooks and Dunn would be on there for me. It's only uh, one spot, so you have there's one. one spot left. That's tough. That's tough. <sighs> Man, that's hard, you know, because I, I, you know, I did go four spots really quick. Um, I'm trying to think of who I just. I mean, there were so many different phases of my music listening since since that age. Um, I would, man. It's hard for me to go against an Ed Sheeran at this at this stage. I just think the amount of work that he does, the size of the tours that he does, the quality of everything he puts out, and the volume uh, is just pretty staggering. And there's not really anybody doing much like that. Have you met? Let's just kind of go back to your first people. Have you met Elton yeah. John? I have not. I'm going to low-key flex here. He kissed me yeah. on the mouth once. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was the greatest. That's so cool. I was sitting yeah. next to him at a charity event. He yeah. was showing me pictures of his kid. He had just adopted this kid. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, leave some pictures more. And he's going up to play. Yeah. It's like 200 people there. And he's like, all right. And he goes out to play and he grabs my head and just plants it on my face. And I was like, that's freaking amazing. You're like, whatever, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. Whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm in. I would have done the same thing. It, it was, I would have done the same Have you, um, Billy Joel? I have not met Billy Joel. Favorite Billy Joel song? Uh, scenes from an Italian restaurant. Nice. Yes. Wow. That's my favorite Billy. That's Joel how song. you know you're a hardcore Billy Joel fan. Yes. 
That because that song is it's all over the place. I mean, I feel like it's I feel like it was three different songs that he just kind of. I think I've I think I've heard that story, but maybe I may I may be making that up. Don't quote me on that. But I've not met Billy Joel. Would like to. I have a lot of friends that are big Billy Joel fans. Yeah. And most of them pick this as their favorite. Now, me, I'm a middle of the road. I've seen them three or four times. Sure. And I would always go with, listen, if you if Piano Man's your favorite, which is one of mine, you're not as hardcore. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah. Love Piano Man. I, I love it. Yeah. But I, you're hardcore. Like, yeah. if you come to me and you say your favorite John Mayer song is Daughters, I'm like, you're not a hardcore John Mayer <laughs> Exactly. Fan. Like, you can exactly. be a middle of the road John Mayer exactly. fan. Exactly. But no exactly. real John Mayer fan picks Daughters yes. or or bubble dim tongue you know yeah. <laughs> that's not one you pick as, okay so those two um tom petty have you seen the five-hour documentary i have not dude and i want to see it's, it you can't watch it in one setting obviously i just have this like thing that hurts my heart a little bit about tom petty because i know he hated country music and that hurts me a lot so who somebody was in recently talking about oh ronnie dunn talking about him him and tom petty because tom petty was like a was like a punk guy. Yeah. He he talks about Tom Petty when he met him as being a guy, guy who was playing punk music. Yeah. And but I just think there is a a misunderstanding to a lot of people at what country music means. Certainly. Because I, will I think agree. Tom Petty would be a country artist now. I agree with that statement. Yes. Because yeah. it's to, such a broad term now. And to and to dislike something artistic because of a taste you have of it, I believe is unfair. It's like saying you don't like bread. It's because such so a wide. huge thing. There's right. so many different kinds. cheese, you know, which I'm currently vegan, which is horrible. But What do you mean currently vegan? You can vegan? dive into that. Currently, you know, currently like, vegan. It's odd that someone just goes for a minute. <sighs> it, I lost a bet. <laughs> I lost a bet. It's it's a whole thing. It's like going, yeah, I lost a bet, and I'm giving to charity a lot. You know, it's like a lifestyle. It is a thing. I mean, it's like it'll definitely be beneficial. You know, um, who did you bet with? In- my my uh, keys player. Actually. And what was your side of the bet, though? Had- my, okay, so it's it's. <laughs> this is the oddest. This is into it's a very bet. odd. Go ahead. It's very odd. It's seen into a bet. So I'm a big Carolina Panthers fan. Huge diehard. I was living in Charlotte. Where was I in 1996 cheering for the Panthers in the first year? You know? And he's a big Atlanta Falcons fan. So we play each other twice a year. We're in the same division. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of pride involved. At the time of the bet being made, the Panthers were 5-2. and two. I don't think they won another game. Was this pre-Cam getting hurt? No. This is Kyle Allen had won three straight. Mm. I think Cam was out in the second game or first game. Okay. Um, but Kyle Allen came in, won three or four straight games, um, and then I was like, "Oh, we're gonna smash the Falcons because they were two and eleven. By the time we played them, they were two and eleven, and and so I was like, and the Falcons just absolutely destroyed, like dismantled the Panthers, like beat us. I think it was like thirty four to seven or something. But of all the terms of a bet, he picked you being vegan if he won. Yes, yes. Well, I had made that bet previously with Cappy. So the Panthers played the Cowboys, and the Panthers won, and Cappy had to shave his beard off, or I had to go vegan. Luckily, I won the bet. The bet. <laughs> but it's like, to me, it's like there's nothing like really fun about like betting money on stuff, you know? Why is everybody picking you to go vegan? Like, that's two different people with the same bet. I think they see me, and they're like, this guy <laughs> loves eating red meat and going hunting and doing it, which is a true statement. But I think it's something that like people think that I can't do. You know, like they're like, no way he can do that. 
and I'm like a super prideful guy. So I'm I'm on I'm only on day three. I'm and how long do you have to go? Three months. Oh my! You bet three months on a single game. Yeah. And what was his law? If, if okay, so he's he cuts off his wiener. Like what? Are you, <laughs> what's happening here with this bet? <laughs> well, so so he's bald. Okay. But he has he can grow like the I call it the papap ring. The circle around his the neck. circle the circle. <laughs> so he keeps his head shaved and wears a hat. His bet was he had to grow his hair out for three months and couldn't wear a hat. So it was a very extreme. So it had to be like he had to match that with something that he felt was equally as extreme. And as, you bet it on one game. Bet it on one game. We almost doubled down on the second game, which I'm glad we didn't because we lost that game too. Then what happens? You don't eat for three months? I'm I just guess. Like, I'm, we like, I'm been, in Gandhi it and, and yeah. have nothing. I think it would have been six months of vegan at that point. And have you noticed your body being any different? It's only been three days. Uh, I'm definitely not as tired sitting around. Watch you become a vegan. Like, like Rick Rubin? Vegan. That happened. That happened to my uh, my utility player. Are you just eating no vegan? Or are you no belts? Are you living the lifestyle or what? No, I'm not living the lifestyle. I'm, I'm not living the like no. Like I'm, I, I would go hunt tomorrow if it was hunt season for sure. Uh, I'm definitely not buying into the like, you know. We usually send everybody home with a rack of ribs, but I guess we'll just. Man, maybe, you could do like a in. rack of like lentil <laughs> loaf or something like that would be great. That's a, I don't, so we got on that from... That's a funny bet, though. That, we went Tom Petty to yeah. veganism. Yeah. And I, I, again, if Tom Petty were a, around now and making new music, he would be on that rock country yeah. cusp. Definitely. And I think had... You know, as a kid, when you were singing songs, was it country music for you or was it a mix of a little... Like, what was it in your mind that you wanted to sing? Because you were singing. I was singing and it was... When I was living in Charlotte, it was country and that was... It was country, and, like, my parents were listening to, like, my mom loved, like, Tom Petty, John Mellencamp. That kind of was the kind of stuff my mom loved. My dad loved Led Zeppelin, The Who. I mean, those were kind Big of classic his, rock on the radio type life. Yeah, but mostly listening to country radio. Okay. Um, at that Because my mom loved country, too. She grew up listening to that as well. And so at that time, I was, you know, you mostly go around with your mom. When you're a young child, you know, dad's working or he's out doing something on the weekend to make extra money kind of thing. That's what my dad was doing. So I spent a lot of time in the car with my mom. And so she was listening to country radio. So I listened to Vince Gill. I mean, that I mean that cassette tape was burned through a thousand times. Hardworking man, Brooks and Dunn. The Tracy Chapman album from like, I think it was from like 1988. Is that like Give Me One Reason, Tracy Chapman? <clears throat> no, Fast free. Car. Okay, fast so car. the first first, first, yeah. first album. I went, listen to that all the time um, with my dad. That's what kind of what me and my dad would listen. My dad has never been a huge country fan, except for Dwight Yoakam. Listened to a ton of Dwight Yoakam with my dad. Um, and, and I was listening. And then when we moved from Charlotte to Asheville, it just kind of stopped. Like I just... My mom just stopped listening to country music for whatever reason that was. So when you're eight, you really don't have your own taste in or for music yet. You're just kind of like, whatever's on is what I'm listening to. You're not going and buying albums and finding stuff that you like. You're just kind of listening to what your parents are listening to. And so my mom was just, she stopped listening to country radio at that time. I'm not exactly sure why. And so I didn't really listen 
from then until my freshman year of college. I mean, so there was 10 years where I just, I didn't listen to country like at all. As you're a kid, what is a, uh, you're singing, do you have an eight year old rasp or did, when did, like, when? No, I, I was, I was, I had a really high voice when I was little. So I was, I mean, I was singing Vince Gill, you know, I mean, killing that stuff. Uh, and then I just got in, I always liked singing. I always get in trouble in class for humming or, you know, talking or, or I was just constantly making noise. Um, and then, and then I found a, you know, a channel for that through chorus class and like, the sixth grade, they make us. They made us take every elective in the sixth grade. So you took like art and home ec and gym and 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 chorus and band, and you took all of those classes. Uh, and then, so when I went to pick my electives for the next year, I picked uh, my electives were always gym and chorus class. That was it. When you started singing, was it duck to water for you? It was, but I didn't know it at the time. It was just kind of like. I just like doing it, but I didn't think, I thought it was just, you don't understand that there's, I just never thought of doing something like this. You know, it wasn't like I was the kid that was like, I'm going to be Garth Brooks. I'm going to do this or that. I never had that intention in mind at a young age. And I know a lot of people who do, you know, they heard a Trisha Yearwood song and went, I'm going to be Trisha Yearwood. That's what I want to do. I just never thought of that as an option. I was playing sports. I was horrible at sports, but I was playing sports. I like doing that. And I was just singing because it was something to do that I liked to do. You know, I was just, I mean, at that point in time, truly just living my life. You know, I wasn't planning for the future at that time. And um, I didn't really know I was any good until like ninth grade, probably, until I went to high school. And my course teacher was like, Hey, you're pretty good, you know. And I was like, "Cool, well, that's good," because I like I like doing it, so it's cool that I'm good at it, you know. And then I sang. I was in course class every day of high school from ninth grade to the time I graduated. You play football? I did. How'd that go? Horribly. I was horrible. Really? Yeah. And what position did you play? Defensive tackle. Did you like hitting? Loved hitting. Um, I I didn't have, uh, I didn't really have the uh, the quickness per se, or the aggression. I wasn't like an aggressive guy, so, but I loved hitting people. You weren't singing Vince Gill. Like, I wasn't singing Vince Gill in high school. On the line. No, I wasn't. Um, I always, you know, it's funny. I, I played rugby in college, which I was good at, and I did enjoy uh, a lot. But I loved, I always wanted to, I was like a running back stuck in a offensive guard's body. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I always wanted to have the ball and run with the ball, but that was never an option. And the and my my high school team we ran we were one of the first teams to run the spread, and so obviously there's your high school football team. Yeah, you ran the spread, and for you in two thousand and probably five, four or five. And you gotta you gotta be able to move if you're running the spread. Yeah, no doubt. Every I mean, position because even, even the linemen because you got to get up and go and right. be ready quickly. So I wasn't in sh- like in shape enough to be, you know, I didn't have the endurance to to run with the offense cuz we had we had two running backs that ran sub 4340s. I mean they were just lightning fast. Um and so we were up and down the field a lot. I mean 30 40 yard play was not something that was out of the ordinary for us. And so yeah, I was just not cut out for that either. You know, and a lot of teams we were playing were playing or you know, we're running the wing T and like the super antiquated offenses and stuff like that. So 
yeah, I was just I was just not cut out for that particular thing. I, now, n- looking back in time, I would have I would have loved to play offensive line. It's one of my, my favorite, most intriguing positions now, and I think I would have been very good at that actually. Um, but I was just I was just not because I didn't play when I was little. I started playing in high school, so all of my all of my teammates had been playing since they were seven or eight years old, you know. So by the time it, I was a senior, it was like there were guys who had been playing football for 14 to 15 years, and I had only been playing for three. So I was way behind the curve of, you know, strength training and learning the game, and I just wanted to hit people. That was it. You go to Appalachian State? Mm-hmm. And as you leave high school and you go to college, in your mind at that point, why are you going to college? I just thought that was what you did. Because I, I didn't want to go to work, I think, you know. Um, but I had went to – I actually went to a chorus camp at App in probably maybe eighth grade or ninth grade or something like that for the summer. I was like one of those two-week you – know, you go and stay in the dorms and there's kids from all the different schools and everything. And I just fell in love with that place, you know, because I grew up in the mountains already, but that was way, I mean, that's way in the, as much in the mountains as you can be in North Carolina, kind of nestled in this little valley thing. And I just fell in love with the campus and like the, and the weather, you know, I I like the cold, you know, I, I, I'm fine with being cold and, and it's very cold and it snows a lot there. And I just, I absolutely was enamored with that place. And ever since I went to that camp, I was like, that's where I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to school there. And I was not a very good student in high school. Uh, I've always been interested in, in learning things. I really enjoy that. I just was never interested in learning things that people wanted me to learn. So what were you doing in college for the most part? If obviously you're getting through, cause you didn't leave until, and you left right before you graduated, right? Yeah. Which is, mm-hmm. so, and we'll get to that. But what were you doing in school? Were you just keeping the grades up so you could keep singing or were like, why, what was your motivation? It was like, it was, college was a, a big time for me of like, okay, how do you be 300 pounds and get a girlfriend? That was what I spent most of my time trying to figure out. Did you have girls in college? No, no, I was definitely not a ladies man. Uh, you know, not, not because I didn't want to be, uh, but in high school, you don't exactly get judged on uh, your great personality. Um, so those were interesting times for me. But, I, I mean, that was what I did in college. Man, I, I hung out. I drank with my buddies. I didn't go to class a lot. I played rugby. I sang in an acapella group my, my first year and a half of school. Um, I, I, pl- I pledged a fraternity and ended up quitting doing that before I became an initiated member. Um, I I did a bunch of stuff, man. I just tried a bunch of stuff, you know? And I think that's what I'm thankful for in the college experience because that's where I found out that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And you left early. Like, you were close to graduating, right? Well, I was there for five years. Okay. So so, I didn't leave early. But (laughs) But you left right before. I stayed late and I didn't graduate. Yeah. How many hours do you think you needed? 21. Not Not even, not. I mean, it's a semester and a half. Yeah, not even a full year. Yeah. But I could have done like a summer mm-hmm. in a semester. But the problem was, was I always hated math and I always hated science. Um, I'm not good at not good at science, not good at math. Um, and so I never. What happened was I I loved 
I was a major and I changed my major from business. I started out at business and I was like, wait, I hate math. Why am I doing that? That's just something that I was like, oh, you could probably get a good job doing business things, you know? So I tried that for like a year and then I switched my major to criminal justice. Um, because to do I, what in criminal justice in your mind? I wanted to be a homicide detective is what I wanted to do. Uh, still am very interested in that. Um, and so I, I went balls to the wall in, in that major and I really enjoyed that. So I liked going to my, you know, forensic science class and my this and this and this class. But the things that I, the 21 hours I was short were all my math classes, all my science classes. So like basic, like your freshman year stuff, never took any of them. I never took stats one and stats two. And then I never took chemistry or biology because I was like, this is just, I don't want to do any of this stuff, you know? And so by the time I got to the end of my major, I kind of ran into this huge roadblock because I had two or three classes that I needed for my major. And they were like, well, you can't take this class unless you have stats one and stats two. And you can't take them at the same time. So that's at least a year of school to take two classes. So I'd had to do stats one, stats two, biology or chemistry one, and biology or chemistry two. And those were both prerequisites. And then I would have had to take the classes for the end of my major and then I would have had to do my internship because I couldn't do my internship until I did the classes for the end of my major. And you'd already done five years. And I'd already done, yeah, like four, I, well, yeah, I'd already done like four and a half years. So I was like, I'm not staying here for another two and a half years, in school at least. I ended up living in Boone until I was 24 before I moved to Nashville. Um, but I was just like, man, I just, I don't, you know, at that, by that time I was already playing music. Were you going back and forth from Boone to Nashville, or did you? When you came to Nashville, was it you came to Nashville? The first I came to Nashville tw twice in in those years, and that was two thousand and at the end of two thousand and thirteen, and then the summer of two thousand and fourteen. When you came the, the first time, did you know you wanted to stay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I had written a few songs, and so I came at the end of twenty thirteen and recorded those songs. And then I met, had, you know, through the internet, had met a couple of people. I was like, oh, I write songs with these guys. And so I wrote a couple songs when I was there. And then I got back and I was like, man, like I got to plan another trip. So I planned another trip, wrote some more songs. And then on that trip in probably April-ish, May of 2014 is when I recorded She Got the Best of Me, Can I Get an Outlaw, and uh, Share If You Want To. And then at that time, after that, those came out in June, and I moved in September of that year, of 2014. The tweet you posted where you said, I think the topic was, tell me something about yourself that no one will believe. Mm -hmm. And I, the gist of it was that you came to town, and you had some songs, and people were like, hey, they weren't good. Mm -hmm. And your whole thing was, don't let anyone let you stop chasing your dreams. Yeah. Those meetings where you were rejected, are they vivid to you, the early meetings? Definitely. Um, the one in the meeting in particular was with somebody, it was, a, you know, they have like the artist, like writer reps at, at like BMI. So I had a friend that had a rep there and I went in and I was like very excited because I had just moved to Nashville at this time and I didn't know anybody, you know, I, I knew a couple writing buddies and was going out and playing a few writers rounds and, and writing songs every day. And cause by that time I was living off of those songs that I had put out the previous year and I went in and it was kind of like this, this person was like, 
well, play me three songs. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, this person's going to be like, I'm going to play these three songs, and, I, like, they're going to walk me into the best publishing thing, and they're going to be like, this guy's great. Like, how could you not love this guy? Give him a publishing deal. So I played Hurricane, When It Rains, and One Number Away, which were my first three number ones. And they were like, okay, here's the deal. You got to get better at songwriting. You got to write better songs. <laughs> and you're never going to be an artist. So that's it. And I was like, and I wasn't like mad. Do you know who said it? Yeah, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it. I would never ask you to yeah. say it, but I'm just asking if you know who said oh, it. Oh, I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Have you seen them since? I, yeah. I ran into them uh, awkwardly at actually the BMI awards. Do you think they ago. remember telling you that? Or do you I think, think you were so. just someone that was coming nope. through, turning through the system? I don't think so at all, which is fine. You know, I have, I have nothing against that person, you know what? Because I get it, man. I mean, it's it's like if you look at it, would I would I would equate it to at that level, you know, because you're not even screened at all at that level. Like any Tom, Dick, or Harry can walk in off the street pretty much to BMI and get one of those meetings. So I can't imagine the pressure of like, okay, well, I've got – six kids that moved to town yesterday that want to come in and they all think they're awesome. And I've got to be able to figure out which ones I think are good enough to go on to the next thing. And so I wasn't mad about it at all. I'm actually very thankful for that meeting because I did go out and feel like I wrote some of the best songs that I had ever written because I was like, man, I got to, I got to write more and, and do better. Like I'm not even close to as good as I need to be. And so I just kept my head down, and I went and wrote a ton of songs. And and then there were kind of the rest is just kind of fell into place. I mean, I know that's you know summarizing a big chain of events, but that's kind of how it felt. I got a few minutes left here. I wanted to run a couple other things by you that I'd heard. First of all, a lot of folks come in, myself included, that worked retail because yes. we, we kind of had to. Yep. You got to pay the bill somehow as you're mm -hmm. chasing your creative endeavor. Yes. And uh, I worked at Hobby Lobby. Uh, Mike, who was in? Uh, Michael Hobby from Thousand Horses yeah. worked at The Buckle. Okay. You worked at IZOD. I did. I did. <laughs> How'd yes. that go? <laughs> I was not a great fit uh, at IZOD, um, but I had, you know, I had f as much fun with it as you could possibly have folding people's golf sweaters. You know, um, I, it was in an outlet mall, like one of those like Tanger outlets or whatever they call it. They had one in Blowing Rock, which is right down the road from Boone. So it was, I mean, it was pretty, pretty miserable. If I'm and how really long honest. did you do that? I probably worked there for, I mean, close to a year, probably, I would think. And whenever you are walking past a table of shirts that are messy, <laughs> does it bother you? And will you refold a shirt? No chance. No, <laughs> no chance. I, but I'll tell you what, I do, I do fold a mean shirt. You know, uh, when I'm when I'm doing the laundry at home, which I'm sure people are surprised, I do do laundry. Uh, my fiance does handle the brunt of the laundry, um, but I do I do chip in quite a bit. You know, help fold stuff, and you know, I'm not I'm not afraid to do laundry. I I don't I don't mind it at all. But will you I, separate it, or do you yeah. just throw it all in? I I if I wasn't in a committed relationship, I would throw it all because I throw it all in. Yeah. But I do separate it now just because that's what – but now it's like her stuff's in there, which is the thing. Like mine are just old, like gross T-shirts and jeans really. So I'm not too worried about them like shrinking or like – but now there's this whole like don't wash this thing with that thing and don't 
dry this thing, but it's got to be tumble dried, but don't put it in with this thing that has to be high heat. And then some stuff is like cold water. And so it's, I mean, it gets pretty mathy to me, you know? And, and we so, know you don't like and math. I don't like math. You left Appalachian State because you I left school because I You didn't even take math. laundry. That was like yes. year three. <laughs> that was year three, and I skipped laundry class. That's for sure. Uh, the, the bank bag, I'm curious about, that you used mm-hmm. to save money in. Yep. So you went and bought one of those bank bags. It zips. like mm-hmm. It's kind of like your wallet. With the lock on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was that about? And, and wh- where was this money coming from you were sticking in the bag? So I had <clears throat> I'd started playing shows. And and when Cappy moved to town after he started managing me, he had never managed anybody before. Um, you know, he kind of blew through his life savings, like trying to build my career. And and so he he made a promise to me. He was like, hey, man, I'm not going to take a commission until you're actually making enough money to, like, live off of. And so at the time, you know, the gigs were, I mean, they could have been $250 a night. They could have been $1,000 a night. And those were $1,000 was really good, you know. And so we would go and, and do those gigs and, excuse me, I would take, you know, T-shirt money, whatever was left over. And, and Cappy was great because he would always go settle the show. You know, he would run me through the statement every night and here's what we got and here's what we did and here's the tickets and this. And, and there would always, we were, we were selling out everything. You know, at that time, uh, which is great on those club gigs because usually they they'll they'll kick you back a pretty like sweet bonus, and it's always cash, and so that's where the money was coming from was the these sellout bonuses on these club shows, and so I would I was like I remember getting to thinking I had like five or six thousand dollars in my apartment, you know, and I was like man like somebody could just walk in here and like take this if they wanted to, so I had like a Folgers can. And instead of putting just the money in there, I put it in the bank bag and then rolled the bank bag up and put it in there. It was back like behind my microwave on my counter. My microwave kind of sat like in a corner. So it was kind of, there was that space behind, behind it. it. Yeah, because yeah. it was diagonal. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what, that's what I, that's where the money was coming from. And that's what I, I did with it at that time. I saw Cappy. I, he was in the Delta Lounge. I was walking through. I was in the, going to the Delta Lounge. We yeah. know Cappy didn't know each other, yeah. obviously. And he was on the phone, and I'm, I just like touched his shoulder. I was like, just like, saying hi to him, not pulling off his phone. Yeah. He, he, and he's t- and he was talking about um, some of your technology. Right? He's on the phone talking about the sure. tour. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like, and he goes, "I'll call you back." Dude, hang just hangs up on him, and it's like, <laughs> "How you doing, man?" And I was like, "You don't have to hang up a phone call." Yeah. But yeah. it's such a testament to like how present minded that yeah. he always wants to be. Yeah, definitely. And just how giving of his time. And we sat there and talked, yeah. and I was like, "Happy." Why don't you get back on the phone and handle your business? I'm gonna yep. go get like a one of these little fancy Delta chocolate bars, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and then someone else walked in that I knew. He did the same thing. Yeah, just really one of the sweetest guys. He is, man, and, and he, um, he and I are very similar. I mean, people think he's my dad all the time. How'd you guys meet? He, we met so his his best friend from growing up. They went to high school together, then went to college together, joined the same fraternity. Uh, is a guy by the name of Bradley Jordan. Uh, and he books a ton of a ton of clubs in the southeast as a promoter. He had a he used to own Peachtree Tavern in Atlanta uh, in the early like mid two thousands. Like Luke Bryan used to play there, Swindell, FGL. That was kind of one of those big clubs where like when you went and played Atlanta and you were coming up, you played Bradley's place. Uh, and when he eventually sold that, he started a company uh, called Peachtree Entertainment, which he still runs. You know, and um, and so he books. You know, right now he's booking shows with like. You know Hardy or Morgan Wallen or Riley Green, like those kind of guys, and so Bradley was had booked me on one or two shows, 
And then, you know, obviously him having known Cappy his whole life, he knew that Cappy's ultimate goal was to always be a manager. He had just never found the right guy or it wasn't the right time or the stars didn't line up. And so um, he called Cappy and was like, hey, I got the guy. And so he showed up at my show at Zydeco in Birmingham and we talked and he was like, I live in Atlanta and all this and I'm going to move. And I was like, dude, this guy's fucking crazy. Like he's going to. Like, he's just going to up and, like, walk away from his entire life to do this. And I was kind of, like, a little, like, apprehensive about it, you know? Like, I was like, am I getting involved with, like, some, like, sharky guy who's going to come and, like... Because you always hear the stories, like, well, make sure who you do business with because they're everyone in the music business is trying to, you know, steal from you or get something out of you kind of thing. So I was like, my thinking was like, man, you get one shot, you know? Like, do I want to take my risk with this guy who I don't know, who's never managed anybody before, or do I want to try to get a proper management deal at a, you know, at a big firm or do this. And, and so I met with a couple other managers and, you know, everybody had kind of passed on me in that situation too. And, uh, and Cappy, you know, we stayed in touch about things and he sent me this huge email. I mean, it was like five or six pages long. And I remember reading it. I was I was like reading it like in my car, and I had just come home from a ride or something. And and I remember, and he had heard that I had met with some other manager type people. And essentially, this was a six page letter of like why he was going to be the best manager. You know, for not only for me, but he wanted to become you know a great manager and. And this is how we're going to do things. And this is why we're going to do them. And, and this is why I believe in you. And this is why I'm willing to sacrifice everything for you, you know, to do this. And after I read it, I was like, man, there's nobody's going to care more about it than this guy. You know, so then it then it just, we instantly, I mean, he up and moved like the next week. What year was that? That was 2015, probably. Late 15, I would think. Mm. Mid 15. It's a great story. It is. Yeah. Uh, the last thing we're going to do is walk through these number ones and just give me a okay. couple sentences about yep. what they, like when you hear them back, like what was happening around the time that either yeah. you wrote it or number one, like what story? Yeah. We'll start yeah. We'll start with Hurricane. Here you go. Here's this. When this plays, what are you thinking? Uh, when that plays, I mean, it just is a flood of like things were just really happening at that time, you know, and and that song was around for, you know, in my life at that time, a, a long time. You know, it had been out for, you know, by the time it went number one, it had been out for two years. Uh, and so I played that song in a lot of clubs. And, and I just could, I, re, I can just feel the, like the momentum when you play that song because it's, I, you know, I owe kind of everything to that song. You know, I, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for that moment in time, you know, and I just remember, you know, playing all these shows and, and man, we we're selling everything out and people were all these important, you know, business people were coming out and we want to see the show and we want to talk to you about this and, and just excitement, I guess would be the word that I think of when that song comes to mind. All right, number two here is your second one, uh, One Number Away. I'm one number away from calling you. I said I was through, but I'm done. What do you feel with, with that one? That's just different. You know, it, it was it was the most different thing that I had done at that time, especially when we wrote it. You know, I had never written to a track before, didn't know what that was. Um, and it was just, 
it was it was cool, man. It was kind of like I was like, man, this thing is just so cool. It's such a risk for me. I th- I felt at that time to put out, you know, and so I mean, luckily it worked out. But that one is is definitely I would like risky. I think is how I I would felt I felt about that one. When it rains, it pours. Yeah, man. I mean, just. I mean, I just think that's probably my. It just makes me happy when I hear that song, man. You know, I remember shooting the video and and uh, in Charleston, and and uh, you know, I, me and my uh, you know now fiance had had just really got into the throes of our relationship at that time, and it was just really fun. That was just a really fun time for me you know and that song brings back a lot of of really cool fun memories for me all right number four here she got the best of me she got the best of me <laughs> what why'd you laugh right there what what happened up there it just you- I, I mean it's just that's full it's like full circle is the word i would use because i wrote that song in college um i i wrote it here in nashville but it was on one of my trips and it just the way it all came together was um that you know I wrote it with Rob Snyder and Channing Wilson. Uh, at that time, they were both, uh, you know, doing the revival thing together uh, at Tin Roof. And um, a buddy of mine that I went to Nashville with had, you know, kind of walked up to those guys and was like, hey, let's write a song thing. And and so they were like, sure, man. You know, we're only in town for a couple of days. And they're like, oh, well, we can write tomorrow or whatever. Me and my buddy got just super drunk that night at the Tin Roof. And, and you know, we played revival that night. And... Uh, and so he called me in the morning and was like, hey, man, like, I'm too hungover to go to this right. Will you go instead? And I was like, sure, man. Like, I'll go right with these, you know, two complete stranger guys, you know. And so I went over to Rob's apartment. Me and Rob were kind of sitting there writing. And this, I mean, Rob and Channing are both, like, big dudes. They're both taller than me. They're both even broader than I am. And and Channing walks out in this, like, bath towel, you know, he's got his long hair and his big beard and everything. And Rob was like, dude, come come get on this song with us, man. Why don't you come write this song with us? And he was like, man, I don't, I'm not feeling it, you know. And he said, well, play. <clears throat> he said, dude, just just play him something. So I played Night Moves on my guitar by Seeger. And he was like, yeah, I'll come write with you guys. <laughs> and then so we wrote. We wrote She Got the Best of Me that day. Uh, and I ended up recording it uh, in college. And I was still in college putting it out and then when it came time to record the deluxe version of the album you know lynn was like this song's just great and your fans love it at the shows and and i really think it deserves a chance to you know to be recorded with the proper equipment and the proper proper band and and get a shot at being a single and so yeah, it was definitely a full circle experience for that one right, beautiful crazy i mean definitely my fiance comes to mind more than anything um and that song really just changed a lot for me. I mean, it was seven week number one, which is crazy. I would have never imagined that. That, that to you, that song to me put you on a whole different. It, like yeah. it, it's you have to have a massive song to actually make the jump. You yeah. can have eleven number ones, and sometimes you don't make the jump. Yeah. But if you get that one definer, yep, you can make a jump. I think yeah. for you, that's when it, it launched you yeah. up. And that's what I was thinking is this is the one that took us from like. I mean, we had four number ones and things were awesome, and then it was all of a sudden it was like next. It was the next gear after that song, you know, and you know I think of obviously winning Song of the Year uh, here recently, and you know all the accolades and and and, and things. There, there's so many really positive 
uh, you know, memories. I mean, I wouldn't be, you know, I probably, I mean, I would like to think I would still be with my fiance without that song. But I mean, this is the song that I played for her, you know, after we weren't even officially dating yet when I wrote this song about her. And I remember playing it for her like two days after I wrote it. And I was like so nervous. Well, that's like, vulnerable right there. Yeah. Cause I was like, man, what if she thinks I'm just a total creep? Like, you know, because it was like, I mean, we're hanging out. We were hanging out a good amount at that time, but it was still like, man, it was such a risk in my mind, like, to play her that. What did she do? She was working at BMI. No, what did she do when you played the song? Did she oh. get emotional or did she? Well, I, I played it smart because her one of her friends was there. And so I had actually bought her a record player as a gift, like a Crosley record player with, like, the legs yeah. and, the, like, its own little speaker and stuff. And so I, it had an aux cord jack, and I plugged my phone in and played the work tape. And her friend was in there, and her friend was like, oh, my God, like, this is just, wow, you know? And so I was like, I know if I can, like, hook the friend, and the friend thinks it's sweet, she at least has to pretend like she likes it so that I'm not in this awkward situation where we're both like, well, we'll just stop hanging out now because you think I'm super weird. So it was it. She, but no, she loved it, and I mean, she obviously loves that tune. All right, beer never broke my heart. I can just feel the live show on that one. People um, screaming it back. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it just feels like you know, it just the feel like I can imagine what the environment would have been like at an ACDC concert. You know, like. And not that that song sounds anything like an ACDC song, but it's the most rocking thing that we have. You know, it has those heavy, like, chugging guitars, and and just it just feels like an arena rock, like, anthem song. And that's what it feels like every time we play it. And I think that song, you know, if Beautiful Crazy was important, I think beer is just as important. Because we followed Beautiful Crazy up, which was this very vulnerable, like, low you know, fiddle, like violin kind of acoustic thing. And then it just polar opposite is this song. And and this song, you know, I think this gave us a jump too because, you know, a lot of, and like you said, we did have hits, but a lot of the hits were kind of like mid-tempo-y. Like there wasn't that like kick you in the teeth thing in the set. And I think that song brought that to the table for us. And the last one before we go, even though I'm leaving. Just cause I'm leaving. As of right now, this is your seventh number one in a row. Mm-hmm. As, as we record this right now, this is the one, uh, multi-week number one. Yeah. When you wrote this, how'd you feel? I, man, this was a crazy write. So actually, one of the guys I wrote Beautiful Crazy with, Wyatt Durrett, uh, this was the first song that we wrote together. Uh, and me and him and, and a, a good friend of ours, Ray Fulcher, wrote this together. And... It was one of those things, like, I love to get into a write and just not go until I feel like it's perfect. And I feel like sometimes the Nashville environment can be, we got three hours, we're walking out with a song. I don't care if it's terrible. I don't care if it's the best song that anybody's ever written. I just want to get it done and turn it into my publisher and get on with my life. You know, which is great if that's what you want to do and I understand that and I I enjoy that sometimes too but I have to go into it with a different thing because I'm writing it as something that could potentially be a humongous part of my life forever you know that song's never going to go away it's never not going to have been a number one I'm never not going to play it every night and so 
I love to go in and make sure that if I'm going to record something and I'm going to put it out there for people, that it's something that has the stamp of approval. And so that was a write that took probably eight hours, seven or eight hours in one day. And we were in the little, like, um, we were in like the little office rooms at um, Southern Ground in the studio. We weren't in the studio, but there's a little spot next door where there's like, you know, just a little fluorescent bulb, like offices. And Wyatt's son at, at that time was, uh, you know, getting ready to, you know, he was getting to the age where he was going to be graduating from high school very soon. Uh, and that was his only uh, child at that time. And um, he was like, man, I want to write my son a song and let him know that I'm going to be there for him no matter what, you know, like just cause he's not living at home. He doesn't, I don't want him to feel like he can't still call me or he can't still, you know, be my son or ask for help if he needs it. And so that's how that song started. Uh, and, and, uh, man, we had trouble getting through it. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to still have my, my parents in my life. And, and so I haven't, you know, had to deal with that, you know, horrible day yet, but we were all, you know, very emotional, like didn't sing in the work tape, like got a little choked up. I was like, man, this is like, and I knew like, if that's happening to me, like that's going to happen to a lot of people with that song. So, um, that song is, is just, you know, it's, it's really powerful for a lot of folks. All right. The, what you see is what you get toward with Ashley McBride and Drew, Drew Parker's happening. Lots of festival dates. Uh, yes. you and Eric church are headlining rock the South. You're touring with McGraw. I don't even know how you have a minute. <laughs> it's, it's like every day on your calendar, yeah. there, there's something on it. You're it on, is. that's what I call music 73. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy crap, man. It's crazy, man. You know, but it's, it's, I just think, you know, you only get this chance, you know, once if you ever get it. And, you know, I don't want to look back when I'm, you know, 60 years old, you know, and, and go, man, I could have done more. I should have done more. I wish I would have done that. Or I wish I would have worked harder. You know, because I don't want to lose this, you know, it's 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 a special feeling, you know, to go out and go, man, people are really loving me right now. I'm hitting some kind of, I'm hitting some kind of vein somehow, some way that, that maybe somebody else isn't doing. And, and that's a neat feeling. So I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared to, to lose that. And I know it, it inevitably will come. There will be a time when, you know, the next guy that's really awesome will come along and go, Phew. Luke Combs, that guy's old news, you know? I was talking with, in the last few days, a A-plus-plus artist. Just, we were hanging out a little bit, and he had brought you up. Because mm-hmm. he was A-plus-plus. Yeah. Still is massive. Yeah. And he was complimenting. He was like, you know what? It's Luke Combs' time now. Yeah. He's like, I had my time. And he goes, it's Luke Combs' time. He said, I'm still going to do massive shows, but now yeah. it's Luke's time, and Luke's going to have his time. And then hopefully yeah. Luke will look at the next person and go, yeah. you know what? I'm still going to play big shows. Yeah. He goes, that's just how this works. And yeah. the people who don't, who are miserable, yeah. who, who don't embrace what they have when they have it and yep. what they had when they had it and root for yes. the guys that are coming next. Yeah, and you got to, man. You know, because I've had a lot of, of really great experiences with with people here in town, with other artists who've said, man, you know, you're going to do this. And, and everybody's thing is always enjoy it while it's here. You know, do the thing that you – go to the after party that you're too tired to go to or go – you know, hang out with Ed Sheeran or, you know, any cool opportunity, you should go do that because you're not always going to have those opportunities. So um, that's something that I have always taken to heart. Now I do enjoy a good nap 
Boy, sometimes, yeah, you know, uh, it's just hard to pass up on that sometimes. But so, yeah, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to do it the best I can and and, uh, and, and you know, enjoy it while it's here. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. You Likewise, know, man. Just a big fan of you. Thank you. I think over your artistry. Like, I got to know you a little bit before you had a bunch of hits. Sure, yeah. So I always yeah. liked your honesty when you came Thanks, in. Thanks, man. And, and it's very authentic. So there he is, Luke Combs, episode 226. Um, this thing's going to be listened to forever. I, the single right now is Dust to Me, but when, this thing's going to be around for years and years of podcast. <laughs> so whatever his 94th number one is. We'll have to do another one. Be sure to we'll check have to it do out. another one. All right, so. good, good to see you, my friend. Likewise, buddy. Episode Thank you. 226 with Luke Combs. There we go. Hey. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.